Hello, everyone. This is Mark Stenson, and you've reached our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Today, our virtual trip around the world to talk to creative people brings us to the Bay Area, right outside of San Francisco. And I'm talking with Sandra Spielberg. Sandra, it's good to talk to you again. Great to talk to you, Mark. Sandra is the author of a terrific book called The New Startup Mindset. And the subhead is wonderful. It's 10 mindset shifts to build the company of your dreams. And we're gonna talk about that mindset, we're gonna talk about those shifts, and really hear how to create the company of our dreams. So I think it's a dream for a lot of people to create their own company, and it comes with some obstacles and difficulties, and then it also comes with some incredible gifts. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. Well, I want to talk with you, Sandra, about two of these journeys. One is the starting, building, acquisition, and exiting of your first startup. And then this year, you've decided to hit the restart button and do it again. So the serial entrepreneurial spirit (laughs) is definitely alive and well for you. That is right. That is right. Yeah. So I'm happy to take you through the, the first startup, Seeker Health. That originated from being very aware of a problem in the biopharmaceutical industry, and that was finding patients. So prior to starting my company, I had worked for 15 years in different biopharmaceutical companies, and pretty much all of them had a problem in common, which is they really struggled to find the patients that they needed, either to participate in clinical trials or participate in market research or participate in actually, you know, an event that would promote their new treatment. And the problem was even more severe when it came to rare diseases. And so I I encountered this problem multiple times in my career. And then finally, in 2015, I said, you know what, I think I know how to solve this problem, or I think I know how to tap into a different way to begin to solve this problem and created Seeker Health. And the whole point of Seeker Health was to use technology, some of it which was out there and some which we would eventually develop to bring patients together with biopharma and let them let the patients know about these clinical trials that were taking place and that would need them to participate. And so that became Seeker Health. It was really based, the idea came all around, here's a problem, there has to be a way to fix it. I think I have an idea on how to fix it. And beginning to work on that beginning part of the idea, that sort of minimum viable product, and then extending the platform to create a more complete solution for the client. Terrific. You know, when people think startups, they say, oh, I got to get an incubator. I got to go out and pitch investors and I got to get all this outside funding and build the team that way. But you took a little bit different path, didn't you? That's right. I did none of those things. So I didn't raise venture funds. I didn't go to an incubator. I'm not a programmer. And instead, what I did was I delivered initially a service that I could deliver on my own. These were Facebook campaigns for clinical trials. And I really focused on getting customers, proving the need uh, by getting customers. And so because the customers were paying uh, my company, Seeker Health, to provide a service, I didn't have a need to go raise funding. We had enough customers to support the growth of the company, the employees that needed to come along with that. So that was very unconventional. And that was one of the main reasons why I decided to write the book. Because as I was talking to other entrepreneurs, there is this formula out there, the Silicon Valley formula that basically says, you know, most likely you're going to be male and 
and you're going to be a programmer and you're going to be pretty young. You're going to start this company out of your garage and go to an incubator and spend three months, give some equity here, then get some angels, give more equity away, then get some venture capitalists and get a lot more equity away. And then by the end of the day, I think what you've gotten yourself is a job where you work for the, for the investors. <laughs> yeah, you work for the investors and you have, you know, now a small percentage of your company and they have a great say as to how the company grows. Now, many times it's really useful, you know, that they're well-connected individuals that invest in companies. So many times that's quite useful. But for me, none of that resonated. That was not the way that I wanted to build this company. And so I didn't. I just did not follow the formula. And I checked in with my myself multiple times, you know, the company's growing, is this a good time to raise funding? No, it's not. Because I was running a profitable company at customers, those customers were growing, we were retaining them well. And we had revenue, we had profit. So I could grow on my own without having to give pieces of the company away to an investor. Yeah. You know, people always say, uh, especially in service business, but you have no warehouse, you know, you have, you don't really have the equipment or capital needs that maybe other types of companies have, but revenue is, is a real strong thing for a, a service business to grow instead of getting outside investors, get the customers. And that's where the revenue will come from. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's more real. It's more sustainable, right? At the end of the day, I'm a conscious capitalist, but capitalism is about selling a product or a service to someone who needs it and is willing to pay for it. And so many times I think when we, uh, I guess, postpone that test uh, by getting venture funding and by getting other sources of funding that may not be so tied to revenue, then we don't have the answer as to whether or not there is a good product market fit here. One of the things with my company was, it was very early. Is there a good product market fit? Because if there isn't good product market fit here, I'm not going to have customers and these customers are not going to be paying me money and I'm not going to be able to stay you know, open for business. And so that's the ultimate test at the end of the day. Are the customers they are, are they willing to pay for the solution that you put together? Uh, and if not, change the solution, work on a different problem. But at the end of the day, that's what I like about not raising funds, that you you have the proof right there. And it doesn't mean that no company should raise funds. Lots of companies really benefit mm -hmm. from raising venture capital and it's the right thing for them to do. For this first company that I built, that wasn't the, the thing that I chose to do. And it's so interesting the way you put it. It's like the, we always talk about proof of concept you know, with some startup product. Well, the ultimate proof of concept is are there customers and are there sales? Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. so very good. Well, that was certainly one mindset shift you had to make. Well, of the, of the 10, what was the other very difficult shift that you felt like you had to make as an entrepreneur to follow yeah. a different path? I mean, I'll tell you one that I experienced very early on, which I like to call beginner's mindset. And uh, this is the this came to me because I realized that I had 15 years of experience in the biopharmaceutical industry. So there were a lot of things I knew how to do and I knew about the business I was going into. And then there was an equally large number of things I had never done before and didn't know how to do, right? So these were things like, uh, hire a team to develop software, file a patent, right? Hire every single member of my team. Uh, I didn't know how to do these things. I had never done them before. And what I realized is that one of the shifts that was really important is this concept of beginner's mindset, that it is actually perfectly okay to be a beginner 
at parts of your business. And that it's not only okay, but there might even be an advantage to being a beginner in some of these things. Because when you're an expert, your mind is already set on something. And when you're a beginner, you tend to be more open, you tend to be humble, you tend to ask for help, you tend to compare multiple options that you might not necessarily compare once you've already set your mind on something because you've did it that way before. So this, this concept of beginner's mindset was really important. It's something that I've applied pretty much to everything else I've done since. But this concept that, look, I don't have to know how to do 100% of what's in front of me. I just have to know that either I'm going to learn how to do it, or I'm going to get people who are going to help me do it. But either way, I'm going to figure it out. And there is a benefit to actually not having done it before. It's good to have that mindset. I do think about the creative people, though, who carry around this idea, whether it's for a product, a service, a business, but that becomes an obstacle that I don't have all these answers, or I don't have enough experience. No, some of that is just excuses and maybe uh, procrastination, but that they truly feel they don't have the experience. But boy, you're saying turn that into an advantage. Absolutely. Turn it into an advantage and don't spend time waiting to accumulate this experience because the experience can only accumulate once you set foot on this road to start your company. If you never start your company, then you're never going to be faced with the experiences where you actually need to learn how to do something new. So I would have never been faced with the things that I got to learn if I sat waiting to start my company. The only way to, to face and to learn and to grow was to actually say, okay, I'm going to start. And I know that I don't know all the things that are coming my way, but I trust that I can learn or figure them out or ask for help. And then eventually you reach the stage of your company's life where you said, perhaps we partner up with another company. And I don't know if, were, were you intending to be acquired mm-hmm. all along or did you say, hey, this might make a good collaboration and it eventually led to something? How did that progress for you? Yeah, I mean, I set up to build a company and uh, three years into it, I was building that company. I was really busy building a company. But as part of that visibility, companies started coming uh, my way to inquire about acquiring Seeker Health. The area of the market that we were working in, which was primarily clinical trial enrollment for rare diseases, became really hot, really you know, a good area where lots of bigger companies wanted to expand into and they needed some technology to do that. And so they started coming to me. In fact, I was a bit surprised because it's early, you know, year three, the company was still still growing. But I went through that process of considering the offer of the first company, then considering the offer of the second company. And then I decided to take a pause and actually get a coach to help me think through this decision, because it seemed like this was going to be one of the biggest decisions I was going to make in the history of my company and probably in the history of my life. For sure. (laughs) And so uh, at that point, they're intertwined. Life and company are very close. (laughs) Exactly. And so with a coach, I worked specifically on two questions. Questions. The first question was, is this the right time for me to sell Seeker Health to, to a partner? Or should I keep running it for, let's say, another year and see what happens? That was the first question. And then the second question was, if I do want to sell the company, then what is an offer that would make, that would minimize any seller's remorse, right? Because the first two offers were not quite exactly what I was looking for. And at that point, I couldn't express why. And so through this process of coaching, 
I arrived at the answer to the first question, which was, yes, you know, I built a lot of value in this company fairly quickly. It would be a good idea to now turn it over to a larger partner and then be able to take my, my piece off the table, right? And then on the second question, we came up with a very concrete list of things that I was looking for in an offer. Uh, and at this point, I said no to the first company and the second company, not knowing if a third company would ever come along. But a third company did come along. And so when they came, then I was now able to tell them exactly what I was looking for. And, you know, there were no weird sounds on the other side of the, the phone call. They didn't hang up on me. Right, <laughs> right. They, uh, they turned around and I got a letter of intent. And then we went through the due diligence. And then the company was acquired in September of 2018. I stayed on for another 18 months to help integrate uh, Seeker Health into the bigger platform. And in that yeah. transition, I'm very curious, you know, because sometimes it's like, hey, take the check and run. Some entrepreneurs do that. But you stayed on and made that transition. But I was curious about how you felt in that role, because now you're no longer sort of captain of the ship anymore. Yes. Uh, how was uh, that for you? It was completely different than being, you know, a founder running her, you know, growing, but relatively still probably relatively small startup, right? So I mean, it was it was completely different. So I went from I mean, the, the great portions of it were that I had no longer to worry about anything that was back office, right? So accounting, HR, all the finances, uh, leases, all these things that were on some way on my plate, I didn't have to worry about them anymore. They were handled by the corporate entity and it was fantastic. I really enjoyed that part. And then the, the part on the other side is that I also no longer had full control to really either go as fast as I wanted to do or implement new ideas or test new ideas. Now I had to run them through, you know, a group of people who would decide along with me as to whether or not it would be a good idea <laughs> to, yes. to, to implement these things. Well, with Seeker Health, you know, while we were growing the company, I was free to try whatever we wanted to try. We wanted to do this type of marketing experiment. We did the marketing experiment, right? Well, here there was a marketing department. So, you know, I would have to get them on board to do that marketing uh, experiment. So I did that for 18 months. And then uh, yeah, and then it was it was really for me, it really felt like it was time to move on and sort of begin the process anew of creating uh, something from scratch, which I really enjoy, and just trying to figure out where this market fit is for a new product. I can totally relate because I had some parallel experience to that, to running my own branding agency, as you know, and then merging that into a bigger company. You know, I always questioned whether I was being a good faithful employee, so to speak, you know, <laughs> because after you've had the starter mindset, you know, and like you said, experimenting, trying new mm -hmm. things and uh, investing in, uh, then you need some other collaboration and cooperation from the, the new yes. owners, right? Yes. And now let's think about now you decided after that company was acquired, you said, hey, let's do it again. And you started your new company at Nexi. Yes. Uh, any lessons learned, I guess, applied from the last experience that you said, this time I'll do it a little bit differently? Or are you following a similar recipe? No, this one is quite different. Lots of things are different. You know, my first company was an LLC. Since then, I've learned a lot more about like corporate structure. So this new company is a C-Corp. So that's different. My first company had a lot of service, had a service and a, and a and software in it. This second company is more purely software where we're trying not to have as much service or any service really uh, as part of it. 
And then also this company, more open at this time, uh, contemplating some earlier larger partnerships that can really steer the company commercially in the right direction versus building that. I think when I think back at Seeker Health, one of the most difficult things was building the sales infrastructure of that company. It really relied on me pretty much until the end, but building it was really difficult, finding the right people to sell the product and service. And so here I'm trying to solve for that almost by design much earlier. So Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, Mark, because I feel like these two experiences are going to end up being very different. I learned a lot from the first one. It really set me up to go into this type of company, you know, in a way that I can kind of sustain what is happening, but it's going to be a very different experience. And do you already have an intention to have an exit through acquisition, you know, build and flip again? Or how do you see the journey of this new company? You know, I'm open-minded at this point. I'm I'm open-minded. I think I have to see what I end up building, right? We're in this process of building and I'm open-minded to, you know, continue to run it for a while. And I'm also open-minded to, you know, turn it over to someone. I think overall, the process of turning my first company, Seeker Health, over to my acquirer was great. It was excellent. It It was a very good experience overall. And I would totally do that again. Right. But here I feel like, you know, we're still sort of building and we're still figuring out the right direction. Well, let's shift gears a little bit to the creative journey of the book itself. So you're you're going along the process and you said, you know, I, I really should document this into a book. How were you able to write the book while also steering the company? Yeah, so I was I was mostly steering the company. That's what I was doing. But I love writing. That's always been a hobby of mine for possibly the last decade. The book actually started as a couple of blog posts that I submitted to a website. And so the first chapter, Beginner's Mindset, and the second chapter, Single Deep Focus, initially appeared in a website as, as blog posts. You know, here's an entrepreneur like sharing, you know, here's one tip. And here's another tip. And then all of a sudden I realized that I probably had like a good 10 tips to share (laughs) and decided to, instead of doing these blog posts that were more disconnected from each other, to turn it all into a book that was more of a coherent, uh, single piece of information. And so with the book, I, yeah, I continued writing from there. I actually had uh, some help with like an editor that helped me through the development of the book, a developmental editor. And she was really great in helping me make sure that I was communicating the topics clearly. And then, you know, the book is structured along the journey of that I went through start, build and exit. So those are the three parts of the book. So in a way that was pretty easy to write in that I'm telling you the story chronologically as Mm -hmm. it happened. And then each chapter in the book has a tale from the trenches, which is me telling you the story of that piece, and then a teaching, which is the mindset shift that I had to consider to actually keep my company moving, right? So a mindset shift could be something like beginner's mindset, single deep focus, you know, the ability to focus very exclusively, continuing to flow forward, which is about showing up every day, no matter what, every day, there's a little bit of progress that can be made towards the goal and other mindset shifts of that nature. And I've read some terrific feedback about the the book. So kudos on that. Uh, Anytime somebody says it's a must read for somebody who wants to get their company uh, built and someday perhaps exit, it's good to get that kind of feedback, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. It's been the, the, the book has been great in that sense. And that 
mostly what I get is lots of entrepreneurs reaching out with a personal email saying, you know what, this is really helping me. I thought I had to follow this formula. Thank you for telling me I don't have to follow the formula. You know, thank you for, <laughs> for telling me that it's okay not to know everything. So I, th- I feel like a lot of what I'm doing with the book is I am validating for people that it is okay to do a business in the way they want to do it instead of doing it in the way that it's always been done. And Sandra, uh, just to sort of now put a bow on this conversation, there is a foundation under all of this that is your passion to serve, especially rare disease patients. Tell us about that and where, where that passion derives from and how it drives you. Yeah. I mean, I think everything that I'm trying to do is driven by purpose. So, you know, when I wake up in the morning or, and then I engage in one of the projects that I'm working on, it's like, well, is this, is this my purpose? Maybe let me back up and just say that every person on this planet has a reason for existing, right? Like there is something that they can do. There is something that they can contribute uh, to themselves, the community at large, the world that is important and only almost like only them you know, only that person is the one that could do it exactly in that way. And so I come from that mindset, right? Like the mindset that there, there's a reason why I'm here on this planet. There is a combination of skills or a combination of interests, a combination of abilities that I bring, just like you bring, Mark, that can be applied to something. And so mostly what I'm showing up to most days with this combination of that makes me me, what is the best application of that in the world, right? And for me, it is important that my company have some impact, that we be working on something that I feel good about, and that at the end of the day, it's mostly about the impact, right? Is this having a positive impact on the world? And sometimes it's hard to judge if the impact is positive or neutral, but in general, the intention is to have a positive impact, right? Like with Seeker Health, the intention was like, look, there are millions of patients who don't even know these clinical trials are taking place and they would love to participate because they have a rare disease. They don't have any options and they would love to participate and bring this treatment to market. And similarly, right now with Adnexi, you know, where we put together a platform that collates a lot of information about diseases. So we're trying to, you know, we're trying to help biopharmaceutical company get better relationships to develop drugs. We're trying to help patients get better information. So for me, I think that purpose is really important. I think sometimes it takes us a while as human beings to figure out what our purpose is. But I would encourage everybody to sit with that question. You know, what is your purpose? What are the unique combinations of skills, interests, abilities that you have? And where should they be applied for maximum impact? And so that's what I'm doing now. That's how that's how I wake up, you know, most days to be like, well, some days I don't wake up to that, Mark, because there's a pandemic going on. That's and, right. And you sometimes know, you just wake up and say, yeah, coffee. sometimes I just wake <laughs> up and it's like, hey, you know what? Let's just make sure we have toilet paper and let's make sure we have enough pasta. And, you know, no question and about that. The kids that. can log on to their Zoom school. <laughs> just doing but, the best we can. You're reminding me though in your bio and the about us about Sandra you know you've also said that there are some daily practices for you meditation and mindfulness and other things that help keep you centered on that intention otherwise we could lose focus you know and say what am I doing this for one more phone call one more zoom call and and how has that helped you 
you know. Oh, for me, it's been life changing. I mean, tremendous. Uh, one of the practices that I enjoy the most is I call it a breath journey. Uh, but basically it's like, I choose, you know, a number of songs, like four or five different songs on my phone. And then I'm going to listen to these songs while I am breathing and meditating. And it's a little bit more fun than meditation because there's music to it, but it's a little less fun than just like dancing around. Right? <laughs> it's a <laughs> nice in between. Yeah. It's a little more introspective. Yeah. Or yeah, my meditation group does not like it when I dance around inside the group. <laughs> right. And so I'll do this either like sitting or laying down. Uh, usually when I wake up, I did it this morning and it just helps to clear my mind. It helps to kind of um, focus and say, okay, well, what is going on today? What's going on today for me? What's going on today out there? You know, what do I want to do? What do I need to do? And so that's a mindfulness practice that has really helped me. There are hundreds of different types of mindfulness practices, right? There's like straight meditation where you sit in silence. There's walking meditation. There's dancing to this. There's breathing to music. To me, it's like the most important thing is to find whatever it is that is going to produce that shift. And once you've shifted, you know that you've shifted. Like I know, for example, last week I had a very stressful thing that I was working on and I was not in a state of calm. And so I know what that feels like. And I also know what a state of calm feels like. And so when I'm not in a state of calm, I can get myself into a state of calm by practicing one of these practices. So they're really important and they're practices. So basically we never really become experts. Uh, I have to keep showing up to them to continue to get the benefits, right? So if I don't meditate for a month, well, I'm not going to get that benefit of centering myself on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so happy you were willing to share that because I think sometimes we get in a conversation about entrepreneurs and startup companies and so forth. And we spend so much time on the logistics of what needs to happen to run the company that we also have to think about the entrepreneur, him or herself, to make sure that you're strong and that you as you said, keep your intent and keep your focus uh, in the center of things. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a whole chapter on the book on burnout. And, you know, I really think that burnout is probably one of the worst investments you'll ever make in your life because you work really hard for a couple of weeks and then it'll take you months to recover from that burnout. And instead, the antidote to burnout is balance, which is, you know, show up every day, make sure, yes, th there's, there's always work to get done, get the work done. But also there's this caretaking to happen for you as sort of this vessel of creation. And so that caretaking has been really important. Thanks for sharing that. Well, my guest has been Sandra Spielberg. Sandra, it's just so great to talk to you. And thanks for sharing these stories. It was great to talk to you, Mark. I smiled the entire time. Well, that's good. And I, someday maybe I'll make this a YouTube podcast because the smiles are good. And I, <laughs> you can't always hear that on the audio podcast. Sandra Spielberg is the author of a great book called The New Startup Mindset, 10 Mindset Shifts to Build the Company of your dreams. Sandra, how do we get connected with you and the book and the company to follow the work that you're doing? Yes, all this information is on my website, which is my name, sandraspielberg.com. So there, there's tons of information about the book, where to buy it, and then the company that I'm building now. Well, fantastic. We'll be sure to visit that and I'll add that in our show notes so people can find it. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Great talking with you, Sandra Spielberg uh, at Nexi. 
So join us again next time, folks, for another episode of our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. As you can see, the key to unlocking creativity is yes, find an original idea, organize your ideas, get it out into the world, make the connections you need, but also stay centered on the purpose. Why did you start this company? Why did you write this book? Why did you record this song? So when you're just feeling down sometimes, you know, we all have to market and promote and do all the work to keep the companies going. But if we keep our purpose and our passion in the center, it sure does help things along. So thanks for joining us on Unlocking Your World of Creativity. I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you again next time. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. Copyright 2021. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book, A World of Creativity. Paperback is at a special price of $5.98, and the Kindle version is only $0.99. Cents. Go to my website, mark-stinson.com. The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon, Mark hyphen stinson.com and enjoy the book.